it is, you know, being afraid, but moving forward anyway. And I feel like I've had so many moments where that's been the case. I just kept going the whole way and, and closed that, that contract. And it was really one of the big things that kind of got me to the next level. Hey there, lovely humans. Welcome back to the Finding Fearless podcast. So excited to take some time with you today to share another amazing story of a female founder that has been walking this path for quite some time now. Today, I'm talking with Heather Smith. She is the founder and CEO of Hammersmith Support, and she shares her journey from corporate America to starting her own company that focuses on helping entrepreneurs and entities of all types with custom-built WordPress websites. I love this conversation with Heather. We talk a lot about the importance of staying in your lane, knowing what you're good at, finding a way to you know, bring your creative process into alignment with also your client's needs, when to let go, even if the designs you're creating you know, aren't something that you love, but are something that your clients really love. And you know, in general, we just talk about the importance of aligning a business model that really meets your needs as an individual and entrepreneur, Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Finding Fearless podcast. I am your host, Madeline Pratt, and today with me is Heather Locke, who is the CEO of Hammersmith Support. After graduating the University of Tennessee, Heather began her career as a web developer and quickly moved into a role of managing a team of programmers, designers, animators, and digital video producers for a wide variety of multimedia interactive corporate applications, including e-learning, marketing, and communications. From there, she worked as a project manager on projects for Fortune 1000 companies, including Subway, Disney, HBO, and Target. Today, Heather is the owner of Hammersmith Support, a certified women-owned web development agency specializing in design, development, maintenance, and hosting of custom-designed WordPress websites. She is an amazing force and a creative talent, and I'm so excited to have her here. Welcome, Heather. Thank you for having me. I, I've been looking forward to this opportunity to reconnect with you. I just always love sharing with our audience kind of the work of other talented female creatives, but I am so curious to dig a little more into your story. Just even reading that bio, I was like, oh my gosh, this woman's amazing. So, so tell me a little bit, like what has shaped you into the woman that you are today? Um, well, I think in a lot of ways, people are the sum of their experiences. And I think that's definitely true for me in a, in a lot of re for a lot of reasons. My dad had really strong work ethic growing up. He really instilled that in me and, and just his passion for life and for giving back to the community. All of those things made a really big impression on me. And then when I was, you know, starting my career, I worked for a small company for about 10 years, just, and that's where, you know, I, I managed projects for e-learning and marketing and just the exposure to kind of all these different types of projects and different people and kind of, I moved through different roles when I was there and it was just like invaluable experience that really helped me see the way forward. And I also got a lot of inspiration from the business owners and, you know, saw kind of what owning your own business would be about. And that was really important to me as well. I love that. I, I'm curious to know for you in that journey, when was the point where you started to think, 
oh, I might, I might want to do this myself. Cause I feel like there's this kind of itch that starts a little bit and the ideas start forming, but, but what do you think sparked the idea of, you know, wanting to create your own business as opposed to work for someone else? Um, well, I think I always had entrepreneurialism within me. <laughs> so, you know, even when I was in college and waiting tables, I mean, I love the sense of being in charge of being in control of how much money I made. And if I, you know, worked, you know, I would work like super hard at waiting tables and upselling. And I mean, and I, I love the sense that I was in control of that, that I could, you know, decide who I wanted to show up as, you know, at my job. And I just, when I started my career, I always did moonlighting. And so I think it was just something that was in me. I'm not sure I really realized it until a little bit later. And I think that was just kind of a, a sense of, overcoming fear and getting some more self-confidence within myself to really see that as my path. Yeah. Yeah. It's a process. It's a process for sure. <laughs> will you, will you talk about your founder's journey? So how did you, how did you plan the leap? Like this is one of the things a lot of our listeners are women who, you know, either have just started their own business or are thinking about starting, you know, something. And we always talk about that you know, that leap, eventually, you've got to just jump out of the career you're in into starting your own thing. And, and it's not an easy thing to do. So what did that journey look like for you? <laughs> it is scary. And it takes a lot of courage, I will say that. So I was working at, at the agency at the time where I was, you know, managing projects, and it was just a very demanding job. And it was also 35 minutes from my house. So I was in the car, I was on the phone all the time. I was pregnant, kind of around this time. So I was trying to visualize my life in the next phase when, when my baby was here and it just did not seem sustainable. And I really wanted to come up with a way to essentially have it all, like be able to be a mom and to be able to be a business owner or have a career. So I really went about it very methodically. Like I talked to my boss and I said, can we transfer, can we adjust my position? So I am a contractor status and that doing that gave me a little bit more flexibility on the times that I was there. I was still doing a lot of hours, but it did give me more freedom. And I decided that I was going to save up $10,000 in my checking account. And when I, in, in like my separate account, not like my, my joint account, that I could use to just cover my income and know that I was still contributing to my family while I was getting going. And so over the next several months, I was just any, any extra money I had, I mean, I was just putting everything I could into this account so that when I got to that point, that was what I had decided was going to be the break when I was going to do my own thing. And I got there and it was scary, but I just said, okay, I'm, I'm done here and I'm going to just start. And thankfully, because I'd been, you know, in this industry, in this market for a long time, it was pretty, you know, work came. Like I didn't have to really work too hard to just get some projects going and then really just sustain that. And it was about six or seven years in where I decided I really wanted to take this to the next level and, you know, take it further and scale it. And that's what I've been working on for the last three years. But I've been on this journey now for, over a decade. <laughs> wow, that's that's amazing. And and I think one of the the most beautiful things about that story too is that 
you know, I, I, I mean, there's so many pieces I can relate to. One, it was the birth of my second son, but that was when I really started to think about how am I going to reconcile, you know, my motherhood with, with my, my career and how am I going to make this work in a way that really works for my family? Similar to you, I stocked up a bunch of cash, <laughs> you know, because it really, it does, you know, you, you probably knew from watching other, other business owners that, you know, it, it, it takes a little while to get started. Where did you find your first kind of projects and clients? You said they just kind of came, but did you do some networking? Did you reach out to people that, that you'd known from past work? What did that, that process look like? Well, as I'd mentioned, I'd kind of always done some moonlighting. So I always had a project going on the side. And so I started by reaching out to, to those people that had, that I'd worked with kind of, you know, off hours. And, and that's, that's how I got started was just with just that base and honestly, I didn't do much networking at all the first the first half of this journey so far. I just was working and things came, but things naturally were starting to grow. And and then I needed help. And then when you when you bring on help and then you start to feel the itch or I need to bring in more revenue to support the help and I've got another person or another team member that I need that you know I feel responsible for now. And so then I started, you know, taking more actions to to market myself. But really, honestly, my network really drove a lot of my business in the first in the first few years. Hmm. And when in those those first few years, like one of the things that I see a lot of creatives do is they kinda take on whatever comes their way right at the beginning. But over time, you've really, you know, kind of niched down your expertise, which I think is fantastic because it's like when I know somebody who's looking for a custom design WordPress site that needs ongoing support, I'm like, this is the person for it, which is great. But but what did it take to kind of get to that? Did you always say, you know, this is what I'm going to do? Or were you taking on a variety of projects and then distilling down over time? Madeline, I still have a hard time saying no. Like... <laughs> Because I just feel like if someone wants to pay me to do something, we should do it because I'm trying to support my family. I know that's it's it's a constant battle I have with myself. So one of the questions I get all the time is, do you work in Wix? And we don't work at Wix. And I've helped several people with their Wix site because I have a hard time saying no. But lately, I'm doing better at being like, no, we do WordPress. <laughs> so, But it's hard, especially when, you know, you, you don't want to turn anyone away. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also hard, too, because, you know, everybody has different platforms that they're using. And, you know, those platforms market to people and say, you know, you can do all these different things and here's the benefits and advantage. And usually, particularly with, with Wix, I feel like that's a situation where somebody like tried to start on their own and then they realized they couldn't either do what they wanted to do or they just kind of hit that like upper limit of their their expert abilities. But again, the platform's been marketed to them as like, you can do it yourself in a week. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I can get that. You probably feel for those folks and want to help them, you know, get things off the ground. And it is a good solution for some, you know, depending on what your goals are. For some people, it can be a good solution, but I've got yeah. to stick to my lane. <laughs> yeah. Well, so so talk to me about this because I, you know, I really think that there are a lot of folks, especially women right now, thinking about starting something new, right? Particularly with this pandemic moment, I think we're all re reevaluating the way we work. And, you know, there are a lot of self-starters out there who are like, I need to just make a first website. I need to spin something up and are maybe not ready to, you know, invest in somebody and in, in helping them. 
do you have any kind of basic tips or or I could go negative and say what are the what are the worst mistakes you you see people make and and how could people avoid them you know I think the best advice is to keep your content really simple and clear when putting together a website there's you know I think when someone comes to your page they should be able to know what you do really really quickly and have a clear way to contact you and that sounds so simple but you would be amazed at how many people like have trouble with just that. They feel like they want to put everything, you know, on the page and really simplifying and and helping just to just get your message across clearly. And you don't have to, you don't have to tell every detail on the homepage. You want to give enough information to know if you're the right client, if I'm the right client for you, if you're the right client for me, and to be able to make that connection and find figure out a way to contact. And I think just telling your being personal especially for women entrepreneurs, being a little bit personal, telling your story, letting people know who you are, how you do business differently. I think that is more important than all the details of what you do, because initially you just need to make the connection with your audience. I couldn't agree with you more. I would say probably the the habit we see, especially when we're helping people develop copy for their site is like, there's an S that people want to put on the homepage. And you're like... It's beautiful, and and I love that you have that in you, but nobody's going to read it. Nobody's going to read it. you got to keep it so succinct. And I think this has only gotten worse in recent years. People's just attention spans are so limited. But, like, that kind of content is great to write a blog post about or expand on those stories. But, like you said, you know, really picking out the and honing, you know, what do you do? Who is it for and who's the right, you know, how do how can you tell you're the right client for me kind of thing is like if somebody can't get that off your homepage in 30 seconds, you know, you've got some refining to do. Well, even less than that. I mean, it's you look at the duration and analytics of what people spend on a page and it's it's very, very short. So you need to think about it as if you're, you know, doing the proverbial elevator speech. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so so now uh, my curiosity and the tech nerd in me is piqued. We talked a little bit about staying in your lane. Why is why is WordPress your lane? What do you love about <laughs> about building sites in WordPress? Well, where do I start? <laughs> I love that it is open source code. I love that you aren't locked into one host. You can move your site at any time if you're not happy. I, the last I checked, it was about 30% of the sites on the internet built in WordPress. That means there is, there's a whole industry that supports WordPress. There's also developers all over the world that know how to work it. So that makes, that means constant evolution. It means if you have an issue to a problem, you can usually find the answer on Google. <laughs> it means that if you need to find somebody to work on your site, you can. So I just love the the vast community. And then how WordPress is built is also it's very Google friendly. Just how it innately creates pages is easy for Google to read. I love that with you know you to build a you can build a complex web application for pennies compared to what a custom design industry industry level kind of application would cost. And there's so many things that you can do to enhance its functionality. You can, if you have a developer or you are a developer, you can write your own plugins to enhance its functionality. So I just love that the possibilities are endless. There's a low barrier of entry. Anyone can learn to work in WordPress at some level. 
I love it. I remember when WordPress first came out and I felt so capable because I was like, I can log into WordPress and build a website. Like I did it as a class project and I've, I remember feeling like I, I owned the internet at that moment. I'm curious. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to know more about just projects that you've been really passionate about lately. So, you know, you can share, you know, client names or not, whatever's comfortable for you. But what are some things that you and your team have been working on recently that you're really lit up about? Well, internally, I may do like actual projects and I may just tell you things I'm lit up about. (laughs) Yeah, I'll get all of the above, please. Yeah. Internally, I've been working on putting together a business process based on this book called Traction, which is a way to operate your business. And that has just been really fun to work on and enlightening and seems to just kind of make things simple. So I've been very excited about that internally. As far as client projects, we just recently launched the, a new site for Root and River. I know you're kind of mm-hmm. fans of, of It's Root and so River. beautiful. I oh, saw it you. last week and I was like, oh my goodness, this is gorgeous. <laughs> so that was super fun. And then we're maintaining their site, which I'm very excited about as well. And last year I launched a project for a client called Pro Rhetoric. And they are the National Association of Speechwriters. They have a magazine that they have been that's been published since like the 1930s, and they have like an executive communication council. So there's m- much more to that site than meets the eye. There's like an on-demand video library. There's resources for their professional speechwriters association. There's the magazine subscriptions. They have an awards that they, and so I love, I love working on that site. We continue to add functionality just because it does so much. And the publisher, you know, curates a lot of articles for the homepage. And so it's constantly changing and evolving. And that's, that's another thing I like about that site, but both of those have been like highlights over the last year. Yeah, that's awesome. And I would say, you know, one of the things that makes you stand out in this space is there's some folks you know, that are shops where, you know, they'll build your site and then they're like, and good luck and have a nice life. Like, but will you describe kind of the the service that your team offers? Because it's a lot more hands on and great for anyone who needs that level of, of you know, constant updates and, and evolution. Yeah, well, this was the vision for my company to like offer, you know, ongoing support, customer support where they can, their website shouldn't feel like a burden, should feel like a collaboration. And so that's what, that's what we try to do with our maintenance service. So each month we take a, we do a whole service on our client's sites. So this starts with just kind of doing a backup of the site, making sure we have a solid backup that we can recover from anything that may happen while we're doing the updates. We update the WordPress framework. We update the plugins. We do a test to make sure that all the, if they've added any new content over the month, that that is, has the SEO in place as it should descriptions, titles, make sure the images are labeled. We submit it to Google Search Console so that Google's crawling any of the most recent content. We run a deep security scan. So there's a scan that runs on the site all the time, but we run like a deeper scan just to see if there's any other malware we can find, anything to help prevent it. Any comments that may have come in that are spam, we clean those out. We test the contact forms so a lot of time, this is probably the number one thing we troubleshoot for our clients. They stop getting their entries from their contact forms. So we test that every month. We make sure they respond to us, that they're receiving the entries. If the forms are doing something else, like sometimes they feed to Salesforce or they feed to another CRM, we make sure those connections are in place. 
if a site takes donations or, or purchases, sometimes we'll run a test purchase or test donation, especially if it's before a big fundraising event. So we do a thorough test and review of the site. Oh, we also keep time monitoring on it. So if something happens, we get an email that says the site is down. Sometimes that goes away in one second. You know, we get another one right behind us. It's a backup. So it's just like a server restart. But sometimes it's an indication of something bigger and we, we take a look. And then with our service too, they get two hours each month for any content related updates or changes they might need. So this could be a new page added, new, new team member, a landing page to support an event, anything like that. And we typically get about, I've been tracking it over the last month, going back to the traction book. <laughs> and uh, we get about 35 requests a week and we complete between 95% and 100% of those each week. Wow, that's amazing. And, and you know, I think this is this is the biggest thing is that a website is really like, it's a living thing, you know, if done right, you know, your website, you know, shouldn't just be something that you put up one time, and then it's like slowly expiring until you invest in like a new new overhaul. And so I love that about, you know, the, the service you offer is it's the ability to kind of have that ongoing, interactive evolution experience with with your site, as opposed to just setting it and hoping it works kind of thing. The analogy I use a lot is you wouldn't buy, the, buy a new car and then never change the oil. And that's basically what a maintenance service is, in a sense. So, you know, if you if you just leave it, eventually it's going to break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I experienced that myself firsthand. <laughs> Most people so, can relate. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so, so taking a slightly different tact here, but one of the things, you know, I follow all your content online, I, and I, I saw something beautiful a couple, I, I must, I'm going to say weeks, but it probably was more over, like a month ago on LinkedIn, where you were sharing about, you know, some of your companies give back work and the fact that you work with, you know, nonprofits and you do these, uh, you know, pro bono sites. And, you know, it started to open my eyes about all of this different give back work that you do. And, you know, one, I appreciate that you share publicly about it because then, it get, you know, I could share it with my network and say, hey, this might be for fit for someone that that, that you know. And, but but also, you know, I think it's really important that we are visible about the ways that we give back so that other entrepreneurs can follow that lead and be inspired because a lot of folks struggle, especially early on, to figure out how can they you know, make that a part of their brand and their mission. So will you just share a little bit about the ways that you give back as a brand? Sure. And I will say it is awkward to share because it, it does start to feel self-serving. So I try to be very conscious on how on how we share. But so that's that's a tenant of our business. Like we, that's one of our core values is giving back. It's very important to us. So we're always looking for ways to do that. So we do a couple of things. Just we have a, we actually have two pro bono clients now. We've been working with the Love Up Foundation for a couple of years. And we just recently added another local nonprofit to our pro bono list, which is the Phoenix Center for the Arts, which is a community arts education program here in Arizona. So that's one thing we do. We've also, as a team, we do some community events. So over the Thanksgiving, we collected all these baskets and put together, you know, assembled these baskets for UMOM, which is a, a homelessness, a nonprofit that addresses homelessness in the Valley. And so we use that as a team building, team building exercise. And then, you know, we do other ways to give back that are more subtle that, so last year when the pandemic hit, we had a restaurant client we've had for many years, two restaurants, their income 
stopped, you know, overnight. And we've been supporting them pretty much free of charge over the last, over the last year. So whenever we can, um, we, we give back. <laughs> we look for ways all the time. Yeah. And I, well, and I think that's the thing is, like you said, it's, it's baked into your value system for the company. And so I think one of these things is that when it's a part of your values, it's, it's an easier, you know, it's just part of the way you do things. Right. And so when those opportunities arise organically, where you can give, like it's, it's a no brainer, you know, nobody in the company has to question whether or not that's the right thing to do. Cause you've, you've, you've aligned your values around that. Yeah. Yeah. You've mentioned a couple of times about your team and also about, you know, this mission of scaling and talking about traction, too. I mean, I'm like, she's a woman <laughs> on a mission. She's building your business. No, it's great. Uh, I've got a couple of friends and connections that are like total. I know an EOS implementer and I've got another traction obsessed friend. So if you if you need to need to talk to anybody, I'm happy to happy to connect you. But um, but but, you know, jokes aside, you know, building a team is a really big deal. So will you talk about what that process has been like for you and how you've you know built your team and found the right people to work with? Yeah, absolutely. So I have about five ladies on my team now that it's amazing. It's amazing. The first, the first, my first employee, I was doing a project for the a preschool where my daughter was going and she was working part-time at the preschool and the preschool director put her on kind of helping manage the website project. And she was so detail oriented and so just the opposite of me. I'm very, I am very big picture and she was very much down into the very minute details. And I was like, this is the person I need. <laughs> and so I approached her about, you know, doing some freelance work to start. And that grew and grew. And, and she's a full-time employee now. My second employee was also just kind of like, I saw someone that had a skill that I didn't. And I, you know, wanted to uh, make use of that. So it was a friend of mine from school. She was doing some volunteer work for our fundraising auction. And I just loved how she approached it and her dedication to it. And same thing. I just, I asked her if she would be willing to do some freelance work. And it was so funny. She, her first question to me was, what skill do you think I have? And I said, well, I think you can find anything on the internet. <laughs> so, and so she's been with me now for like two years and then I recently just added two more to my team, an admin assistant and another support specialist. And um, one of those was a referral and one I actually went through Indeed and posted a, a job posting and did interviews and more of a, you know, classic way of finding people. But it has been a journey and we'll, I'm sure we'll continue to be. Yeah. Do, do you, um, is everybody local to your area or are people spread out throughout the country? Three of, three of us are in Phoenix, and then one in Austin, and one in Nashville. Okay, awesome. How is that culture building remotely? I'm looking for any tips, advice, because we, you know, we we scaled our team last year from a team of two to where um, we hover between eight and nine, depending on the contractors we've got got going on with certain projects, and it's. Cult, building culture over Zoom is a challenge, you know. So I'm I'm curious, what has that process been like as you've added new team members? How do you how do you kind of foster that that connection among the team? That is a ch it's a challenge for me too. I would say consistency. We have a weekly meeting, and we definitely reserve some time in that meeting for just some social updates and 
checking in on each other. We use, you know, a chat function to, to be in constant communication, which helps. And I'm hoping, you know, as COVID continues to improve, to do a team retreat somewhere in, in the late fall is my goal. But in the meantime, it's just kind of consistent digital communications. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, you pointed out the big one. Like, I had this real reckoning moment a couple, maybe about a month ago or so. And it was it was actually on a call with a client. But, you know, we had kind of had some friction with this client. It had taken a while to get him on board. And then, you know, just because somebody was late to a meeting, we ended up chatting for about 10 or 15 minutes. And I was like, oh, I finally like really kind of know this person a little bit better. And ever since that moment, all of our communications have been totally different. And it made me realize like, we're not padding time into our Zoom calls to do what you just described, just to be social and say, how's the weekend? And, you know, what what's going on in your world? And that just little subtle shift can actually make a huge difference and recognizing that like, okay, our, our Zoom call shouldn't just be about all business. We should, we should make sure to leave time to really connect with each other. Agreed. And, you know, I try to do it. We do it ours on, on Monday mornings. And I also just try to use that to set the tone for the week to, so that everybody's kind of in line with what everyone else is doing. And we kind of know kind of what we're, what we're trying to accomplish for the week. So it's fairly new. We've only been really doing it consistently for a month and I can just really can already tell the shifts. Mm, that's fantastic. Okay. So, so I'm going to ask you another process related question. <laughs> that's what your brain's been at. Creative process. You know, I think this is one of those magical things that is unique to any, any creative, but, but also, you know, it's, it's something where you kind of build this skill and and being a, a creative that delivers, you know, work against deadlines as opposed to just like a painter that paints when they feel like it, you know, it's a really different thing. And so I feel like we all have to learn a little bit of hacking of our creative process of how do we, you know, spark flow and, and stay inspired. And, and, you know, for you, you're doing a lot of interpreting your client's vision and maybe guiding it when it needs to be, you know, put on some guardrails. So, so what does your creative process look like? And, you know, are there any strategies that have really helped you hone this since, since you do so much creative work? So, Well, at this point, I do have two designers I work with kind of consistently. That helps a lot because we can collaborate and and work on things together and, you know, give feedback. For, I'm also the kind of person that I feel like I get that creative energy at night, which I wish that wasn't the case. But unfortunately, that just seems to be how I'm wired. I try to just look at a lot of different media and not even just websites magazines, commercials, mailers I get in the mail. I try to, you know, look at everything from a visual perspective and just see what's working. And then I think the key and really what helps more than anything is to make sure you get clear direction from the client. If you understand what they're trying to achieve and what they think looks good, it is much easier to to satisfy them at the end of the day. It's when that is not clear when you run into problems. So if you're really clear and getting the direction, I have them show me other samples of sites they like. I don't care if it's clothing related, maybe nothing to do with their business, but if it's a site they really like, I want to see it Um, because that helps me to have an understanding of their aesthetic. 
beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And so, you know, if you understand what, what the person thinks is beautiful, what the person thinks is works, what the client thinks works, then you're much more likely to be able to help get to a point where they're, they're really happy with the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that, that one. That is so important because for me, I can have all the ideas in the world, but ultimately I need to know the outcome that the client is aiming for, you know, and it's challenging sometimes because I'm, I'm sure you've experienced this where clients will go, oh, I'm not creative. I don't really know, you know, what I want. And so you've got to have all these kind of questions and tips and tricks up your sleeve to kind of pull that out of them sometimes. And that one you suggested of just getting the client to show you an aesthetic that they like and, you know, asking them, you know, why does this resonate with you? Like, that's such a great way for me to get the information I need to get that that design process going. I think another thing is just understanding you're not going to like everything you put in a sink. You have to, as creatives, it's hard. You want to put this pressure on yourself to to love everything. And at the end of the day is you're not, because if you're, you're not doing it for yourself, you're doing it for others and you're not going to agree with everyone's design perspective. And so that's, that's a hard pill to swallow, but it's, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the hard ones for me that I've been working a lot lately is how do you detach, you know, when you do create something you really love and then you get, you know, feedback that, you know, is critical or wants to go in a different direction how do you detach that emotion from from the process? Because ultimately, you know, the, the desired end result is, you know, what the client wants to some degree. I do think there's like, for example, with paring down the copy on the website, there are some things I hold really firm on there. But yeah, it's it's a it's a journey to kind of pull your, you know, your your emotion out of it sometimes to make sure that, you know, the client is going to get what they want without you trying to kind of like color it based off of what you love. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand that too. There's there's been ones I've I've gone to battle on, but at the end of the day, I, I do want the client to be happy. So if I can't convince them otherwise, then we we do what makes them happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of of happiness, you know what is what is just one thing, and it could be work related or or life related, but you know what what sparks joy for you? You know, this year has been. I think such an important for us to really recharge and just to create those those moments of joy. So what 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 things are doing that for you in your life right now? <laughs> well, I love my dance class. <laughs> love. So I go I go to a dance class at my gym a couple of times a week and it's just super fun and it is kind of mental therapy too. So I also get really good ideas when I'm when I'm there, but Last week was my birthday was this month and my the teacher of the class sent me an email and said, you know, come to class so we can celebrate you. And at the end of class, I got to go up to the front and dance with the teacher. And I swear the joy that brought me, it's like the little things in life. So so that makes me very happy. Arizona weather makes me very happy. <laughs> I love being outside with my family. We Right now, this time of year, we just eat dinner outside every night. We sit on our front porch a lot. And those moments just mean everything to me. And, you know, right now, what's really making me happy, too, is just anytime I get to see a friend in person and have a and have a conversation. And I hope I never forget. I feel like I'm really appreciating those moments more and more right now. And I hope I never lose that. That's I hope that never becomes ordinary again, because now when I'm doing that, I feel like it is something extraordinary and it's going to be my lifelong goal to make the, keep that feeling alive. 
You hit me. You got me tearing up. <laughs> I mean, I was just talking with a friend about this yesterday of how much we took that, just those small connections for granted. And I'm, you know, I'm starting to have friends where we can do this again. And, and you know, I'm going to a friend's house tonight and I'm just, I'm so excited to get to spend quality time with her. And, and yeah, I, I think we definitely can't take that for granted ever again. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So one last big question for you here is, you know, this podcast is really about, you know, about, you know, being, being fearless. And to me, you know, being fearless is not about not having fear, but it's kind of knowing when to look in the face of it and saying, like, I've got this. And so I always want to ask our guests, like, what does being fearless mean to you? I think I agree with your assessment in that it is, you know, being afraid, but moving forward anyway. And I feel like I've had so many moments where that's been the case. You know, there was a contract I I went after that was kind of the first thing that kind of catapulted me to the next level. And I'd really been presenting myself. I felt like, you know, really well. And and they called me kind of in the contract phase. And he says to me, this was a few years ago. And he says, so is your company just two people? And I just said, yes, but we're growing very fast. (laughs) And, you know, I thought, oh, am I going to lose this opportunity? And I just kept going the whole way and, and closed that, that contract. And it was really one of the big things that kind of got me to the next level. And I love that you owned it. I love that you owned it. Like <laughs> that's a part of Heather's fearless too, is, is owning it. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, I want to, want to just thank you so much for stopping by and, and if anyone wants to find you, I mean, there's so much expertise that Heather and her team have to offer. If you're looking into building a new site or just need better structure and support for a WordPress site you already have, she is, is the go-to gal. So where are the places that people can come find you on the internet? Obviously your website, but also social media as well. Yeah, we are on Instagram as Hammersmith support. We're on Facebook, Hammersmith support. Our website, we have a button for a free consultation. You can schedule right from our website for a 30-minute consultation and LinkedIn. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure to put all of those details in the show notes so y'all can go out and find Heather. But I just want to thank you again from the bottom of my heart. It means a lot to have you come by and have this kind of conversation. So thank you, Heather. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed talking with you, Madeline. There you have it, my chat with Heather. She is such a wonderful, sweet human to talk to, and I love the way that our networks have kind of woven themselves together. She works with teams that I love. We send her projects, you know, that we we you know feel are fit for her and her team. And everything I've seen her create, whether it's the pro bono she's doing in the nonprofit space or or you know the the for profit clients that she's serving, you know, she's she's built quite the impressive portfolio. And I love the fact that. You know, she also leads an all-female team and, and most importantly, has some really strong core values that she's weaving into the way that she works. I highly recommend if you need a team to help you build a WordPress site or even to just enhance the one that you have and, and make sure that it stands out more, it's properly optimized, and you have that kind of ongoing support and evolution, totally, totally recommend you, you get connected with Heather and her team. Speaking of getting connected as well, I want to just take a quick moment to share some of the things we've got coming up in our community. So so we've got some webinars coming out that I really want to talk about. We've got one on the 8th of June that's going to be all about 
protecting your intellectual property. This is a super, super important session for anyone who is creating content, particularly digital content. Um, it's a topic that's really near and dear to my heart to make sure that we women creators have our, our content protected. And Shana Jones of Artisan Law is kind enough to come by and share her legal expertise on this topic. So it's a free session. So if you're not already a subscriber to the, the Fearless Foundry newsletter, definitely go to our website, subscribe for the newsletter so that we can share that content with you. You can join us for free. Also, we've got so many amazing sessions coming up in our Finding Fearless community, and they're all folks that, that you can go back and listen to a conversation with. So Jenna McDonald is leading our Finding Fearless community session this, this May. We're going to be doing a deep dive into some breath work in June. We've got Kelly Campbell coming by. She's going to be leading us through some of the foundational tenets of conscious leadership. And if you haven't listened to my conversation with Kelly, she is one of my favorite humans to talk to. So definitely go back and, and give that episode a listen. And then in July, the amazing Emily Sikorsi is going to grace us with our presence. Heather and I talked to her about her in this episode. She's from Root and River, and we're going to be talking about you know value-based branding and really bringing your, your brand into realignment in this, this pandemic moment. So those are all sessions that are a part of our Finding Fearless community, which is the space where you know leaders that are looking to do business differently get together. It's a membership model. It's our most accessible offering in, in the community space, and it is totally a place for you if you're somebody who listens to this podcast. So if you haven't joined the community already, highly recommend you come check it out. You can do so at fearlessfoundry.com slash be fearless. And you can actually check out your first month of this community for free by using the offer code fearless when you sign up. That's 50 bucks a month normally, and that gets you access to over 18 months of in-depth business development, personal development, educational content, access to all our ongoing workshops, our kind of best in breed and, and inner circle content, our Slack community, so much more. And this community is really powerful because it's a space where we're really, you know, getting access to some top tier coaches and experts and getting to work with them in these small group settings. So if you're looking for a community in this moment, please join us in the Finding Fearless community. Okay. That's all I've got for you for this week. I hope you are well wherever you are in the world, extending some big love and gratitude for showing up, listening and honoring these stories of fearless founders like Heather Locke and so many others. Thank you for tuning in from wherever you are in the world. 